That video is part of a campaign called He Gets Us that has been uh, going around uh, the nation. Um, and I don't know about you, I've seen uh, since we started this series that kind of partners with it. Uh, I don't know if, if you've seen any billboards or, or ads or anything like that for it. I saw a billboard going down the highway the other day uh, for this. And the idea behind it and the idea behind what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks and what we're going to look at today is this idea that Jesus understands us and that he gets us and that uh, whatever it is that we're going through, whatever it is that you've been through, he's been there. The last 30 to 50 years, the, uh, our, our understanding of Jesus and, and the way in which people understand him has changed a lot. And um, a lot of times people look at him as just this uh, historical figure that has no relevance to our life. And that couldn't be further from the truth because Jesus uh, has, has walked uh, in our shoes. He's been through the things that we've been through and then some. And he's even been through some things that you haven't been through. Uh, and, and he understands us because he's for everyone and he has answers to life's most pressing problems. And so whatever you're experiencing, whatever you walked in here with, whatever you're facing, he understands us. Jesus gets us and I'm glad that you're here. If you're watching online, we're glad that you're joining us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we dive into your word now, as we look at what you have to say to us, as we look at, um, God, how, how you love us, how you came down and reached out to us, regardless of where we were, you love us. And you accept us, and we're your children, and we thank you for that. Your Holy Spirit has been moving through this place all morning, and I pray that that would continue to happen. I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. I pray that you would uh, continue to, to show us what you have to say to us today, in Jesus' name. Amen. A uh, pastor and author by the name of Chuck Swindoll, you may have heard of him, uh, told a story about a boy named Chad. And I want to tell you this story. Um, Chad was, uh, was a kid who, um, who really didn't belong, didn't feel like he belonged, um, was kind of pushed aside at school. Uh, one day in January, he comes home and he tells his mom, he says, I want to make valentines for everybody in my class. I want, to, I want to hand make valentines for everybody in my class. And she kind of knew how he was treated and how he was looked at. And so um, at the same time, so she was a little worried about that. At the same time, she said, oh, you know, okay, okay, well, we'll do this. Um, you know, as, as he came home every day walking home from school, there was a group of kids talking, laughing, and all of that. He was always behind them. They never included him, never brought him in. So she decides anyway, you know what, I'm, I'm going to help him with this. So she goes to the store and she buys construction paper and glue and scissors and, you know, all the things. And, uh, and so for three weeks, he's working on handmade valentines, 35 of them for everyone in his class. And so Valentine's Day comes around and Chad um, is excited and his mom, a little worried, feeling how he is probably going to be disappointed, potentially disappointed when he comes home. She tells him, she's like, you know what, I'm going to make your favorite cookies, and I'll have them ready for you when you get home. And, uh, you know, in her mind, she's thinking that'll ease the pain a little bit. So that afternoon, kids come home, coming home a little later than usual. And uh, as usual, a group of kids that are walking are walking and Chad's behind them 
not included, and his arms are empty. He's got nothing. Comes home with nothing. And she wells up a little bit, feeling for her son, and he walks in the door and she says, you know, mommy's got cookies for you. And he just kind of stomps right past her and says, not a one, not one. And her heart sinks. And then he kind of finishes what he was saying. He says, I didn't forget one. I didn't forget a single one. And he was excited about that. But he didn't receive anything. And while that story kind of tugs at the heartstrings a little bit, it's also meant to encourage us. But I also want you to see that I, I, would, I believe that probably all of us know how that feels in some way, shape, or form. We've been in a place, we've been in a situation, we've been, we've been in a circumstance where we, we didn't get the valentine, we weren't invited to the birthday party, we, you know, we didn't make the team, we, didn't, we weren't included fill in the blank. But we don't all naturally respond the way that Chad did. We don't all respond that way because he was thinking about others. We want to be accepted and loved by others. All of us do. But guess what? Jesus, he gets that. He understands that. Because he's been through circumstances very similar to that. And on the other side of that, because he's been, he's been abandoned, left out, and all of those things. On the other side of that, he's also been the guy reaching out and loving the people that were the outcasts. Loving the people that were the marginalized. Because Jesus reaches out to the marginalized. Jesus reaches out to the marginalized. <clears throat> And we're going to look at a few stories today from the Word of God that prove that. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 4 is where we're going to start. And I'm going to be bouncing a little bit. So if you want to follow along in the Bible app, you can certainly do that. Uh, if you're watching online, you can just look for uh, Connect Church in Akron. And if you're here, you can look for Connect Church in Akron, Ohio and, and follow along with me here. But uh, as we pick up the story, we see Jesus. He had gone to Samaria and he's tired from the journey. And he, uh, he sits down to wait by a well, and he sends the disciples uh, to, uh, to get some food. And he, and he stays there by himself. And when he's there, the this, this Samaritan woman comes to the well, and she's considered marginalized in many different ways, in a lot of different ways. So I want to pick up the story in verse 7, John chapter 4, verse 7. Here's what it says. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So Samaritans were already marginalized by the Jews. 
And I'm not going to get into the full-blown explanation of all of those things, but they, they didn't get along a lot. Um, and so the Jews already look, and Samaritans know that. Samaritans know the way Jews uh, look at them. Another strike against this woman was that she was a woman. In this time, culturally, that was not you know, necessarily a positive in this, in this specific instance. And Jesus pushes back on that right away, as you'll see. Um, but to make matters worse for her, we find out if we keep reading, she had four failed marriages and was currently living with a man who was not her husband. So she was an outcast in a lot of ways, and so much so that she didn't even come to get water at the normal time with everyone else. Um, she, she came at a different time because of the shame that she felt. See, by society's standards, she had already struck out. She had three strikes against her, right? She's, she's a woman, she's immoral, and she's a Samaritan. But not with Jesus. It's not three strikes, you're out with Jesus. And those things don't disqualify any person with Jesus in that time or in this time. And instead, Jesus initiates a conversation with her. He starts the conversation. And that shocked her right off the bat. But he did even more than that. He asked her for help. He asked her for help. He asked her for a drink of water. And before it was over, a Samaritan woman found, that, found what she was really looking for, which was the living water from, from Jesus. And from that, something amazing happens. We see something amazing happen real quick in this story. We see the marginalized become a missionary. We see the marginalized become a missionary. Look at, look at this verse in verse 39. If you skip down, it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. She went out and told everybody about the gospel, about the good news right away. And the only story she had was I was one way and now I'm something else and it's because of Jesus. And that was her story. And right away she was qualified for the mission. She didn't go to a, a, you know, a training or anything. We had a, we had a training yesterday where we trained how to share the gospel with people, and it was great, and it's awesome, and those tools are fantastic. You better believe it, and we're gonna keep doing things like that, no doubt, but at the same time, her story qualified her enough to share the gospel with people right then and there, and so does yours. So does yours. And so let me ask you this question, because we're gonna sidestep for just a quick second. How do you view... And how do you understand the mission of the church? How do you understand the mission of the church? And I'm gonna answer this with, with three things, three ways that the church is looked at, but I also want you to think about this from the perspective of, of somebody maybe who is viewing the church outside looking in, in terms of how the church is viewed. There are some ways in which people perceive the church's mission. The first one, one, is that some churches and Christians believe that our mission is to avoid the culture. And we act that way. We act like it's our mission to avoid the culture. The Bible teaches that believers are supposed to be separate from the world. Absolutely. First Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 talk about that. But that's not what he means. That's not what he's saying. Those that try to avoid the culture, we basically do it out of one of two reasons. And I'm sure there's more. But if you want to quantify them down, out of fear that the world is going to, to creep in into my Christianity, so we're scared that the worldliness, the secular, we love to use that word, um, 
secularness of the world creeps into my Christianity, right? So we fear of the danger of the world. Us four and no more, that kind of idea, right? And then the other one would be that some people are just not interested in impacting and reaching the world. They're apathetic. We just don't care. And we could say that we do, but actions speak louder than words, right? They don't really care to do the work of the kingdom. We don't really care to do the work of the kingdom. We don't really care to go out and share faith with people. And so it really ends up being, and please take this from a heart of love, it ends up being selfishness and laziness that amounts to us acting this way because it lets us off the hook. Number two, another way, is that some churches and Christians seek to invade the world. That it's our mission to invade the world. There are those who fight hard to overpower the culture by force, right? Whether it's political, whether it's social, whether it's economic, we're gonna, we're gonna fight the man, right? And we draw the line, and here, here's the unfortunate part, is we draw the line between the good guys and the bad guys, and here's how we do it. We do it with the churched and the unchurched. And we qualify that as the good guys and the bad guys. But according to Ephesians 6, our battle isn't between the churched and the unchurched. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? It's against the forces. It's from the forces of God versus the forces of Satan. That's the battle. That's the battle. Unchurched doesn't mean evil very often. You know what it means? Unchurched. Like, not in church. Right? Later this afternoon, I'm going to be unchurched. I won't be in church. The biblical church, number three, the biblical church engages the world. Engages the world like, like Jesus did. Jesus engaged the world. He encountered the world. Yes, followers of Jesus, we should flee from sin. Absolutely, we should do that. We should flee from sin. We should manage and control the influences of the world on us as well as our influence on the world for sure. I'm all for all of those things. God is for all for all of those things. Absolutely. But, but, the church is not a bomb shelter. It's a gospel outpost. It's not a bomb shelter. We're not just hunkering down and hoping that the world doesn't creep in and get us. This is a gospel outpost. This is a place to go out from. We come here to get charged up, to get energized, to get edified and encouraged so that we can go out and be the church. Out, because the church isn't a building, as we know. We've said it a million times. We know that, right? But we need to be the church when we go out because that's our mission field. That's the mission field. Church is not a bomb shelter. It's a gospel outpost. The best a church can be is to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. What was Jesus' home church? Let me know if you find that verse. <laughs> Jesus engaged the world through the way in which he arrived and his ministry while he was here, right? We engage the world not to become like the world. Don't misunderstand that. It's so that it would become like Jesus. And that's why we engage the world. Let's look at another story in Luke chapter 17. If you want to flip to Luke 17. I'm just going to read this for you. 
It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them went and saw that he was healed, and he came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Back to these Samaritans again, right? Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Were, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? I love how he even says praise to God. Even in this moment, he's not pointing to himself. He's pointing to his father, right? It was all about his father. Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. See, this encounter with Jesus on the road, he, he runs into these guys with leprosy. And a global pandemic has, you know, we, we've brought attention to things that we weren't quite aware of yet. Things like quarantine and social distancing and masks and all of that stuff. And uh, I know we're glad that a majority of that junk is behind us for sure, but at least we hope it is. But separation for health reasons, it goes back actually to the Old Testament. These are, these are things that, that, that we've known since the book of Leviticus is the earliest that we find in, in the Bible at least, but people with leprosy, they had to follow some specific guidelines. So they were required to tear their clothing um, as, uh, as, as kind of an identifying thing, like, you know, so that you could see, it, it identified their quarantine status, basically, um, and they didn't, when they went to the grocery store, they didn't have to walk down a certain aisle a certain way, they just couldn't go in, like, period, they were just like, that's a grocery store, cool, wonder what it's like in there, they couldn't go in at all, not even a little bit, um, adding to that, Every place that they went, if there were people coming near them, they had to yell, unclean, unclean, meaning about themselves, right? I am unclean. Stay away from me. Stay away from me. Can you imagine the way you would feel marginalized and ostracized if everywhere you went, you had to walk in and yell at everybody, stay away from me, unclean, I'm unclean? How must they have felt? can't imagine it was anybody's fault necessarily that they landed with leprosy on them yet this was how they had to had to act but as they run into Jesus they cry out to Jesus for mercy they don't say unclean they say have pity on us have mercy on us so let me ask this question what about the so-called outcasts in our community what about the so-called outcasts that we run into when they're suffering, when they're in need of mercy? Let's ask the hard question here for a minute. Is our church the place that they turn to? That's a tough one to ask, but you know what? It's the right question. See, Jesus sees the outcast, and if we're supposed to be ambassadors of Christ, then this should be a representation of us as well. Jesus saw them. He saw them not just physically with his eyes, but he acknowledged them. They were seen. And I think you know what I mean, the difference between just somebody seeing you and being seen. Jesus saw them. And Jesus sees us. And when we cry out to him, he sees us. He sees you. 
when you're crying out to him, when you're broken, when you're diseased, when you're wrecked with sin, when you're in a circumstance that you can't even figure out how you landed there, yet there you are. Jesus sees you. He sees the lepers ostracized from their community. And he sees you and he sees me in our time of need. And Jesus tells them, go to the priest. Go show yourselves to the priest. And they just simply obeyed. They just obeyed. They didn't go, well, wait a minute. No, you know why? Because they were at the end of the rope. They were at rock bottom. And they were willing to do whatever Jesus told them to do. And sometimes maybe that's where we need to be, is falling at the feet of Jesus and just saying, have mercy on me. And whatever he says to do, we need to just do it. See, these, these 10 lepers, they knew what it meant to be separated, to be, um, you know, traumatized and, and ostracized because of illness. But then they were suddenly healed. And it's an awesome thing. And that's cause for, for them to, to have gratitude and to be thankful for sure. But nine of the 10 did what? They just peaced out and kept going. They just went on their way. Only one stood out. Verses 15 and 16. Look at these verses again. It says, One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. One. One leper. And Luke takes care to point out that this person was a Samaritan. How interesting. Showing gratitude. And his cry went from unclean to have mercy to praising God with gratitude. You may not have been healed of leprosy. I hope none of you here or watching have had that. But you know what? If you know Jesus, you've been healed and you've been cleansed of a deeper stain, which is the guilt of sin. Because without Christ, we remain separated from God by something more horrible than leprosy. Because instead of a skin disease, we have a sin disease. And the only person who could do anything about it is Jesus Christ. And we can cry out to Jesus and say, have mercy on me. And because of Jesus' work on the cross, we can find forgiveness, we can find cleansing, we can find grace, we can find a new life because it says, it says in John 10, 10, he's come to give us life and life to the fullest. And in the, in the same way, he, can, he shows mercy to you, we need to be showing mercy to others. We need to be showing mercy to others no matter how much of an outcast they may seem, no matter how much you may feel like they don't deserve it, and you know what, you could probably justify it. But couldn't Jesus justify it with you too? See, Jesus identifies with those that the world forgets. He identifies with those that the world forgets. The, the one living in poverty, the outcast with no friends, the neglected, the sick, the prison inmate. And as his followers, we should do the same. This is a hard, this is a hard thing. Being an authentic follower of Jesus, I used to tell my students this all the time when I was a, when I was a youth pastor, but it's, it's, it's still true today. It's the hardest thing you will ever do in life to be an authentic follower of Jesus. You are not gonna get it right all the time. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Find me something more difficult. 
And as we identify with Jesus as one of his followers, we need to show compassion. As the prophet Zechariah talks about in Zechariah 7, 9 through 10, look at this. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. See, the way we treat others, it's a reflection of a relationship with the Lord. Here's a, here's a hard statement for me to make, but all of us really need to hear it. If you have a bad relationship with people, with other people, if you treat people like dirt, then fundamentally, you have a bad relationship with the Lord. There's no other way to say that. All people matter to God and therefore matter to us. It's one of our core values. We are not called and saved to be served. We are sinners saved by the grace of God and we are called to serve. See, Jesus calls sinners into service. Jesus calls sinners into service. You may feel disqualified by others. You may feel like the things that you've done, the things that you've gone through disqualify you. You may even disqualify yourself. You may have been told by other people that you're disqualified, but you know what? Jesus says differently. Jesus doesn't agree with that statement. In fact, you're not only qualified, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called, you're called to be a part of the kingdom of God and connecting people to Jesus. And God can use you. No question about it. Now, we're all called in different ways to different things. Sometimes we think that we're called for one thing, but maybe we don't have the skill set or the personality or whatever for that particular thing. I like to say it this way, if you can't swim, you're not called to be a lifeguard. Right? If you can't swim, you're not called to be a lifeguard. You're putting people's lives in danger. <laughs> but everyone has a purpose and everyone has a way to be able to serve and contribute to the mission. Even if it's just something as simple as sharing your story and sharing what Jesus has done for you, that contributes just as much as those who are up here in the band, those who are holding a door, those who are with our kids right now, and everything in between. There's one more story I want to look at before we wrap up today. I know I'm going a little longer, so forgive me. There's a, there's a man that everyone in the town knows who's possessed by demons. And he's running around, just this crazy guy, whatever you're thinking, double it, crazy guy running around naked, living in the cemetery. I mean, it sounds like straight out of a horror film. You know what I mean? Probably was to the people that live there. They were like, yeah, not going there. Gonna steer clear of that spot because there's this crazy naked guy who's possessed, running around, jumping around in the, in the cemetery. Like, and so, he has an encounter with Jesus. And everybody in the town knows about this guy, right? He has an encounter with Jesus and Jesus frees him from being demon-possessed, frees him from the demons. And the demons beg Jesus not to cast them into the bottomless pit because they knew the power that was standing in front of them. And so they say, please, please, please. The, the demons are asking Jesus for mercy. So news spreads to the people in the town and so they want to come and see, right? And rightfully so. We would probably be the same way, being like, I don't know about that. I saw this naked dude running around. He's all crazy. I, don't, I, I heard that something has happened and that maybe he's all better. I don't know if I buy it. So I'm going to go see, right? 
and the man sitting clothed, perfectly calm at the feet of Jesus. We pick this up in Luke 8, 36 through 39. It says this, then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region of Gerasenes, we'll go with that, begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone. For a great wave of fear swept over them. Do you see that? The people in the town were like, Jesus, you need to get out. Go away. You're freaking us out here, man. So Jesus returned to the boat and he left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. And the man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything that God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. Marginalized becomes missionary again because Jesus didn't disqualify him because of the awful things that, had, that he had done that had gone through and he had been through. And he also wasn't disqualified because of his reputation because I can't imagine that that was great. See, we have a tendency to misjudge other people. And you can make the case that all the sideways looks that this guy took from people were for very good reasons. But Jesus sent him out to use his testimony for the kingdom of God. And he wasn't disqualified because of his past bad choices or his sin. He was welcome to sit at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus changed him and charged him with a mission. Once he repented, once he came to Jesus, he turned. Jesus commissions him and says, go serve. See, there's this need for community and acceptance and belonging within our culture today that's increasingly individualistic and self-focused. That's the world that we live in. But whether it's at the gym, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's countless other places, people in our culture, they tend to seek identity in places where they feel accepted. Acceptance is a huge thing for all of us. Every human being, if you're human, raise your hand, right? Some of you didn't raise your hand. Let's talk afterward. <laughs> every human being, every human being has two basic needs in life when it comes to relationships. Love and acceptance. We all, all, you, you could argue with me on that. You're lying. We all want love and acceptance. Every one of us want some version of this, some level of this. And you know what's awesome about Jesus is that Jesus offers both in heaping piles, heaping piles of love and acceptance. And I'm so grateful, I'm so thankful, and you should be as well, because that's the real Jesus that we serve. Because this can be a barrier in many ways to interacting with Christians who sometimes are perceived as being judgmental, and rightfully so, because we can be, and we are sometimes. We can be judgmental and exclusive. But Jesus' life shows that his intentions are for all people. Through his actions, he demonstrates the radical inclusion across a variety of backgrounds and cultures. Now, he doesn't condone or approve of the sin that they're sitting in and leave them in that. Absolutely not. And that's not what we're saying either. But he loves and accepts them right where they are. But he loves them too much to let them stay there. And that's how he is with you and that's how he is with me. And that's how we need to be with others if we're really gonna connect them to the true savior of the world. So the connection point for the day is that Jesus welcomes everyone to the table.
Jesus welcomes everyone to the table. And I'm so glad he does because I wouldn't be here and neither would you probably. He rebelled against the cultural norms. He rebelled against the viewpoints of the time and he looked past the quick and often wrong judgments that people had on others who were considered society's outcasts. You've seen it in the stories we've looked at today. He showed radical acceptance to those who had been excluded from the culture. Instead of rejecting them and viewing them as the enemy, he shows that his intentions are for all people and he welcomed all to the table to hear about the love of the Father. And he is still welcoming today, even you. Can you bow your heads with me? See, Jesus was radically inclusive and I'm so grateful. And so I want you to ask yourself, I want you to take a moment to pray and just ask the Lord to speak to you for a minute and ask yourself this question. How can I be more like Jesus in that way? There may be a person or a circumstance or a situation that the Lord's bringing to your mind. How can I be more like Jesus in this way? And if you don't feel included by God, and it might be because others have made you feel that way, and let me just say that's not Jesus, as we've seen. Can I show you the real Jesus today? I hope that you've seen him because he loves you, he accepts you, but he won't leave you in your sin disease. If you need prayer, if you wanna talk to someone, we've got people in yellow lanyards that are around, find them. Find me, find Pastor Trav, find Pastor Randy. There's people around here that would love to pray with you and show you in God's word what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your radical acceptance. I thank you that you haven't turned away from any of us, Lord, that you're standing there with arms wide open, that what we have to do is turn from our sin and turn to you. And so, Jesus, I pray that if there's some here struggling with that, struggling with the, with the love and acceptance that, that they're not feeling, Lord, I pray that they would feel that from you and that they would understand what that really means from you, God. You love us so much. You protect us. You provide for us in so many ways. And God, I pray that if there's someone here that feels marginalized, that feels pushed to the side, Lord, we've all felt that. But I'm so grateful that we don't feel that from you. And if they have, I pray that they've got a different understanding of you today. Jesus, if there's one that doesn't know you as Savior, it's not 100% sure that they're gonna be with you in heaven one day where you want all of us to be. God, you're not willing that any should perish. I pray that today might be the day that they come to know you, Lord. That they would understand that you came to heal a broken world. We love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.